Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back, everyone, to the Red Club Podcast. I'm excited. I have Ryan Hay on today. Uh, he's the lead tech sport for Magneto Speed at Kestrel Ballistics, and he's precision rifle competitor. So I'm once again out of my element, learning something new. Ryan, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to kick this off strong here. i got to know where this name <laughs> Rhino came from. I saw this on your profile. I'm like, great. i got to ask. <laughs> Rhino. Uh, well, I mean, first name's Ryan. Um, so... I spent 16 years in the army and of course you gain nicknames by sometimes doing stupid stuff. Um, so I already had Ryan, so Rhino, but it really came from one of my buddies that I went to Iraq with. Uh, my first deployment was to Baghdad um, way back when the whole Iraq thing started. And uh, he was a, he, he's a firebrand Texas kind of guy. And well, prior to the deployment, we'd go out to the bars around Fort Hood quite a lot. and one night I got loaded and started running around the barracks. And if anyone's been in the army, active duty, and you lived in the barracks, you know, the shenanigans involved. And I started running around, putting my hand on my forehead like this and running into people and got the nickname Rhino. So, yeah. <laughs> and it stuck. It stuck for a long time. Uh, I mean, even got you know, the back of my, my, one of my jerseys has Rhino on it that I used to wear. Um, I mean, it was, you know, stenciled on inside of my Bradley, stenciled inside of my, my gun truck um, for another deployment. So it was just, it just stuck with me. Rhino. I was going to say, I was hoping it was on a jersey. So I like. It made it onto a jersey once. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So for those people watching on video, you get the added bonus of seeing exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, for, for those on audio, it's just put your, your hand, your forehead, your, your fist, and then raise your middle finger and try to run into someone when you're loaded on tequila, Jack Daniels, and everything else that you can drink. Yep. Yep. Party, party trick there. So. Yep. Good party trick. Makes lots of friends really quick. Good icebreaker. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll try a shot show this year. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Hopefully it all happens. That's that's the one thing I'm hoping for is that shot show actually happens. Yep. I, I miss it. I miss it too. There's not many of us that actually enjoy shot show. I feel like a lot of people are like, eh, about it. I mean, it, it, it has its pros and its cons. Um, I miss seeing people that I don't normally get to see. Um, I mean, there's there's some people that I talk to all the time that I only get to see one time a year. But I've talked to them weekly, uh, and it's just that place where everyone can get together. And it, you know, last year it not happening, everyone was kind of like breathing a sigh of relief. Um, a lot of companies were like, "Thank gosh, this year it's like, okay, do we or don't we go? Is it going to be worth it?" And people are in that decision phase right now. But it looks like it it's going on. So let's just you know. Screw it. Drive on. Let's do it. I'm ready. Ready. So, um, yeah, diving into this, this PRS world again, that I'm so unfamiliar with. Um, <laughs> how did you get into that sport? How did I get into? P okay. So, um, 
rewind back to 2011, 2010, actually way before that. Um, so I'm looking at your outline because we show prepped. Uh, how did I get into PRS? So that stemmed from me actually competing in college. I went to college between 97 and 2000. Uh, basically got kicked out right before 9-11 and that's when I went on active duty. But I was, while I was in college, I was competing in three position NRA collegiate uh, air rifle and small bore. So I was doing the Olympic style shooting with uh, air rifle and small bore uh, in the jackets, doing all that. And then also started to dabble a little bit into the beginnings of three gun uh, around Pennsylvania at the time and started doing really outlaw style matches out there and then went active duty and kind of fell off of the competition stuff because while well, I was getting ready to deploy and do all that Uncle Sam stuff. Uh, and then a couple deployments later, years later, um, it was around 2008 that I started seeing competitions for precision rifle and I had, had two deployments underneath my belt. Um, started seeing that there were matches down at Rifles Only, but I never got to them. And I started training up at a place called Tiger Valley in Texas, uh, Waco, Texas, outside of Waco. And um, they would have matches out there. One day, static, thousand yard matches, and they'd start to do some more of the tactical stuff, bug out drills. So TJ ran, TJ still runs it out there. Haven't been there in a couple of years, but that's basically where I really got my start in competition other than what I was doing in college. Fast forward to 2013, actually 2011, um, a lot of talk was going on in Texas about forming a league or some type of scoring and tracking and that became the PRS. Um, and so 2012, the PRS launched and I was at Fort Benning at the time. So the first season, um, Unrelated to that or related to that, I had met Jim and Melissa Gilliland, and I, I've told the story multiple times on multiple different podcasts. They're still good friends of mine. Uh, Jim invites me down to a match at the old K&M range in Baker, Florida, which is now Altus. Mm -hmm. it, you know, Altus, it, it went from K&M. This is how you, you can tell someone's age in the sport. You can go, were you a K&M, a core, or an Altus person? And I'm like, oh, dude, I was there when it was, you know, First two people I met at the range were Shannon Kay and Brian Morgan standing right beside each other. So it's like, okay, there's my age. Oh, and, um, I went down there with a bone stock M24. I mean, no detachable magazine, 10 power fixed scope. And, you know, it was, you know, I'm running up against people that were running suppressors, detachable magazines, had like awesome equipment. But, you know, I had a fixed 10 power uh, scope. I think, you know, it was it was basically a M24 clone. It was still an M24 um, bottom, but I had gotten a, a scope put on it, my own scope, a little bit better than the M3 Alpha fixed. It was a variable power, um, like 3 to 10 power, 3 to 12 power, a little cold. I mean, really underpowered for this game but i didn't have any detachable magazines but shannon k and jim gillen sat there and said just take some tape buddy and put it on the side and stick your extra rounds on the side and pull them top of feed once you use your magazine rounds because yeah. it was just an eternal mag and i think i placed out of like 60 competitors 30 at that match and that was my first real prs match that i did wow um, 
and movers and everything. So I'm like, okay, uh, a little bit out of my element because I've never competed, you know, against other people in that in that discipline. Uh, it's always been training up for deployments and everything. Um, so I got my eyes open really quick. And from there, it has just been full throttle all the way through. Addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Addict, addiction. And I got out, I, I got medically retired a year later in 2013 and uh, immediately started to try to get everything resourced to get rifles together. And then I got hired at a AR shop in Temple, Texas, now closed, Legion Firearms. Well, as that Legion, we were building ARs, we started to, we were doing AR-10s and we're starting to push that ballistic boundary of the 308 past that 900 yard wall. And, you know, that makes it competitive, at least against other 308s. So I had a 308 done and went to the first Gap Grind Pro-Am in 2014 as the amateur running a 17 inch AR-10 308 and placed fairly decent for my first pro-am there um and then it really took off from there um got hired at magneto speed a year later in 2015 after going to a couple matches and that's when the i'd say like it got started but that's when the pedal went to the metal metal pedal went to the floor once i got hired at magneto speed it was game on from there that's so neat. And I think that that is a testament sometimes to um, like the skill versus the actual gear and guns. And I know I'm in a different realm, but I came back from um, multi or nationals this weekend for open race gun. Nils, I don't know if you know Nils, Jonathan yep. shooting a Canic minor power factor, second place, the whole entire limited. We're like, how? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You well, I mean, he's had a he's he's had a long journey. I mean, look at his shooting career, and I followed him because I, you know, all the shooting disciplines kind of are a Venn diagram. They all kind of overlap. People overlap. You know, someone in the shooting discipline, you get, you know, you get to know other people. So I've watched him, and you know, I watched Shane Cooley and his footwork. I watched uh, Wampler. You know, that guy moves incredibly fast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of people watching the pistol side because. When I'm not doing precision rifle, um, even though I'm not a huge pistol competitor, I still have my dry fire targets up because it's I'm carrying my pistol every day. Yep. So I do dry fire a lot with my carry, and I do. I just watched the footwork on some of the like man smoking <laughs> through the stages and in, in in the lanes, and it's just amazing. And I like I I'll still I'll, I'll say it again. You know, I zoom in on Shane Cooley's footwork. And I'm just like. Man, he moves so damn quick. Yeah, the AMU just breeds champions. I, they're incredible. They do. But, uh, yeah, my PRS starting story. Uh, it was it was Jim and Melissa Gilland, and I was Jim Punis, Alabama Axe. Hey, bud, come down to this match. Let's have some fun. Cool, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, okay, part of the three stand, I, I was interested in like your school kind of got you into it. Were your parents kind of part of that journey with like rifles and all of that? I mean, not many people get that opportunity to do that. So I, I, I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, just north of Pittsburgh. So in Pittsburgh, my dad got me exposed to firearms very young. Um, I mean, the rifle case glass was in his room. I respected it. I never tried to open it. I never tried to play with guns. I knew from a very early age that these are, these can be dangerous. They're not toys. Um, so I respected it and got, it just got instilled in me that firearms um are not negative 
and can be very positive when used correctly. And if it's just sitting there, it's not going to go boom unless a human touches it. So with that, um, you know, my mother was working so much. So my dad usually took me hunting, um, usually took me to, to go shoot and, you know, rabbit hunting, small game, varmint hunting. And then um, as I got into high school, um, high school is inner city. So I really wasn't out in the, the woods that much because I was focused on high school. But once I went to college and then got into the army, that kind of switched because I got a, I got away from the city and got back to the, the suburbs and, and rural area. Uh, and of course, the army, that just, you know, that, that put fuel on the fire for my, uh, for my love of firearms and, and everything Second Amendment. That's really cool. So, and then the, the Air 10 308, when did you, did you actually change cartridges eventually or did you just keep running that for a while? So, um, I used that 308 for a little bit and then finally rolled over to bolt gun. And um, not to say that ARs aren't competitive against the bolt guns in the bolt gun game, they are very competitive. If you drive them correctly, if you if you have a good shot process, good fundamentals, they're actually, I think they're the best training rifle for precision rifle because if your shot process and your fundamentals are crap, the AR is going to expose it much more visible than a bolt gun. Yeah. So I actually like to, I like to train off of AR tens, especially 308 AR tens, more than I do off the bolt gun. Okay. Um, because it will show you that your fundamentals are bad or good. So I did the 308 for a while and then uh, started in a bolt gun. And then around 2017, PRS decided to throw in the PRS gas gun division. Mm -hmm. And they started up the PRS gas gun division because more people were showing up with AR-10s. Immediately went into 6.5 Creedmoor. So a buddy of mine that I worked with that I also served with um, in the Army, Marshall Miller, we built a 24-inch rifle-length gas pro um, rifle-length gas profile um, 6.5 Creedmoor, wow. and suppressed it with a seven-inch can. <laughs> and the overall length of this rifle was probably 52 inches. I mean, it's taller than some people I know. This thing was a monster, but it had a recoil impulse of like a 223, non braked 223. So it, it would just, it would eat prime ammunition and loved it. I was thinking I was pushing prime ammunition, prime 65 Creedmoor out at like 2950, almost 3,000 feet per second. Wow. It was warm. So it was just slinging those 130 grain projectiles fast. Uh, and that gun just, it, it was awesome. Balanced perfectly. It was just a long rifle. It was probably, it was long. <laughs> probably <laughs> the longest AR I have safe. ever seen. 24 inches plus another additional six inches on the on the front end with, with a suppressor. And it, it rock and roll. Oh, um, yeah. I have to send you pictures of it and, and maybe post them up. But it's, I mean, I stood up there and the suppressor came up to me like right here. <laughs> That's all. But with that, you know, um, the gas gun division kind of went away, but with that rifle, I was taking top tens and open uh, every match I went to and, and hanging with guys using much smaller platforms. Um, but the PRS gas gun division was good. And now they have the gas gun, well, the gas gun series, that was the gas gun series. Now they have a gas gun division where you can compete for points strictly against other people shooting uh, ARs in the PRS. 
Did that gun fit in a gun safe? <laughs> no, I actually take the suppressor off. It wouldn't fit in a gun safe. I'd actually break it down. Uh, I never flew, flew with it. So all the matches I went to were driving, so it fit in the case when I had it shotgunned and separated, but um, in the gun safe, no, I actually had to like take that and break it down and, and have a lower and upper right next to each other. That's funny. Where does it live now? Uh, after that gun, me and Marshall did on a, on a, like a little collaborative project. He, it's actually his rifle. That upper and that lower was registered to him, and we were doing some mad scientist stuff with it circa 2014 2015 and i think it was the at the time don't quote me but um the longest 6.5 creedmoor on the market because i don't think anyone else was trying to push 26 inch or 24 inch barrels suppressed <laughs> using just a rifle length gas system we did it um we keep all the specs and the gas port measurements in-house we haven't let that go marshall hasn't let it go yeah. so if we ever want to revisit that project uh, we have it um, nowadays. Everyone's doing six five Creedmoor gas guns. The the it's been figured out, but we, you know, this is 2013, 2014, 2015. Yeah, we're starting to dabble in it. So it, I it. yeah, I love it. I was told like to uh, get into some of these sports. You really have to be a gunsmith, an armor, a yeah, mad scientist because you have to know your gun. I that's where I fail. <laughs> you don't have to be. No, you uh, whoever for precision rifle, you don't. You do know you do have to have an understanding of ballistics and bullets if you're going to reload definitely yeah with rates. um but the biggest thing is you don't have to be a ballistician to shoot precision rifle matches um and i've been mentioning prs a lot prs is just the league the the other league on the other side of the uh the prs series is mostly east coast you have the nrl which is on the west coast and you have competitors all over the country that shoot different conditions and 99.99% of them are not ballisticians. A lot of them are gunsmiths that do make rifles for everyone else, but your top competitors, some of them aren't gunsmiths, some of them aren't ballisticians. They're a cotton farmer from Oklahoma or a 16 year old girl from Pennsylvania or a medical student from Utah or, you know, one of the guys from Oklahoma, I said Oklahoma already, or Texas. They're just normal people that love this, that know how to read wind and um, compete at high level. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I have, it's interesting when you ask people, like, we rarely do, like, ask about what people do for work because we're not there for that. Yeah. But you get some crazy, like, backgrounds and you're like, wow. And it's not fitting the stereotype, which is really cool, though, because you would never, ever, ever meet otherwise. <laughs> yes. So that's the neat part. Um, you mentioned something about NRL, NRL and PRS. So yes. can you share about the differences between the two when you talk about those? So um, you have the two main, the two biggest organizations within precision rifle competitions, sanctioned precision rifle competitions is the PRS and the NRL. Uh, the main difference is usually the rules and where the matches are and how the matches are ran. Uh, it is geographic based. NRL is more of the West Coast. Uh, you'll see more NRL matches out in the mountains, the West Coast, uh, Upper Pacific Northwest, uh, into um, the Western Plains, whereas PRS is a lot more prominent east of the Mississippi. Uh, there are PRS matches out in some of the Western states, but a majority of them are concentrated in east of the Mississippi. 
Um, NRL is known for more field match styles. Uh, field match means it's going to be using a lot of open terrain, natural terrain, um, not on established range like KM or or Altus now, um, or the actual KM now that's up in Finger, Tennessee. Um, but there are field matches within the PRS. It depends on where it's at. So uh, it's it's all again geographic based, but then also the rules. So PRS does have divisions. They do have the open, the tactical production, and then you have different categories, like gas gun as well, gas gun division. Um, you have your military, law enforcement, your ladies, your juniors, and then they have subcategory or subcategories of amateur, marksman, semi-pro, and pro. Um, so they have a little more developed um, in sense of categories and, and different divisions. NRL has come as you are. For the race gun series that's currently happening right now, the series, uh, it's, it's basically open. You come and shoot what you have. There's no tactical, there's no production division. There is junior and, mil and lady uh, categories, but, um, but the NRL also has the NRL Hunter series, which is vastly different from race gun. Race gun would be your normal PRS and NRL match, center fire match. NRL Hunter series, which they started last year is, it's all unknown distance, it's all blind stages. You have four minutes to engage targets and to mimic real world hunting uh, scenarios. So you have to find range and engage your targets, um, build your position, and do all that within four minutes and you're not in squads it's an individual sport so it's just on you wow. uh, a lot of people are finding that really appealing because it's breaking from the norm of being in a squad of 10 people and hearing wind calls as people are coming off uh, and people sharing wind calls um, and people are finding that especially for the military and law enforcement they're finding that or military guys uh, are finding that more practical to go to the NRL Hunter Series. And then within both the PRS and the NRL, you have the Rimfire. Um, so NRL has 22, NRL 22, NRL 22X, and the PRS has a PRS Rimfire. So it, the main difference is the rules. And, you know, you have to look at the rules for, for both leagues and then look at where you're living. Uh, that's going to be a big thing. If you have a lot of disposable income, of course, fly all over the country, but if you're limited to only driving four or five hours, you have to look what's close to you. And that's what drives a lot of people is where, where you are close to, to get to matches. You may be in California or Idaho, you're going to be doing a lot of NRL. If you're down in Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, you know, Mississippi, you're going to be more on the PRS side just because matches are closer. Yeah, that makes sense. So have you, have you flown to matches? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I have, I've flown to many this year. I flew, let me look at my board here. <laughs> Six matches I flew to. Nice. What's the farthest yeah. place you've gone? The farthest I've gone um, north is Montana. Ooh, Montana. Crazy. And then the farthest I've driven, drove to a match was South Dakota. And that was fun. <laughs> a haul. Yeah. From Texas, me and Rich Cronister from Short Action Precision, they make um, the two round holders that go on the side of the rifles, slings, and bags. I picked them up in Dallas and we drove all the way up to South Dakota for a match. That's 
16 hours. We had blast. We actually did a live podcast as we were driving. We call it the roadcast. Um, yeah, pretty good time. I like that. So, okay, for my sport, uh, I don't know if this year's the same way, is wherever we go for matches, it is rural. It's in the middle of nowhere. We're lucky if we have a gas station. We have shitty food options, horrible places to stay. Is that similar? Uh, depends on where you go. So if you go to Altus, you don't because they bring out Pounders, the Hawaiian Grill for lunch, and you stay in Crestview and go to Bamboos, and then you can go down to Destin and party. Um, you go to Oklahoma, you're to the matches in Leedy or the old heat stroke matches. You're staying in Elk City, which has enough decent places. Um, you know, it depends on where the match is at. There are some places you go to Montana you're near to pure Montana. There's nothing but Buffalo Joe's and you're out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> a town of about 105 people. Yeah. So yeah. It depends on where the match is at, but um, some of the ranges are out in the middle of nowhere and they're near um, some less populated towns. Others are, there's a lot of good places to stay. So um, <laughs> we joke about what hotels we're going to stay out and who's racking the most points up for the season on our, <laughs> on our hotel accounts. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So your, your main focus is, is more on the PRS side, right? Uh, actually, both. I try to even it out. Okay. Um, for matches, uh, there are less NRL matches than there are PRS. Just by 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 quantity, by number, mm -hmm. there are more PRS matches. So it's usually around 35 to 40 matches in the PRS season. And the last NRL seasons have been like 16 to 20. So you're looking about, you know, you know, two to one ratio of PRS to NRL. I try to even out which matches the matches I go to because position I'm at, I'm supporting not, I'm not focused on just supporting the PRS or just the NRL. Uh, I'm friends with both of the, the management there and um, I have to support them both. So I try to go to those matches. Like last year I did not make it to any of the NRL Hunter matches because I was focused on center fire. Mm -hmm. um, this year coming up on, probably and i got my got my laminated schedules already because i'm trying to plan out 2022 already my budget uh i'm looking at like six or seven nrl hunter matches two center fire matches because this the nrl center fire series overlaps into 2022 for 2021 oh. um i think the championships in june for that so i got two of those matches and then prs man they just released the finalized schedule yesterday and i haven't even put it in yet so it's you know my calendar is gonna fill up real quick <laughs> <laughs> you're not type a at all no <laughs> i don't meet very men that are as type a as i do i have scheduled budget dates yeah it's... well i mean you have to not to i have to submit a budget kestrel because this is kestrel's yeah. main thing here my new speed was one thing but now I'm, now i'm representing i'm working for two brands that are very integral to the sport and then precision rifle it's not only the shooting matches um the other shooting events like the uh gathering that's happening in december and that's for the u.s army sniper association and the marine corps reconnaissance and scout sniper groups meet you know i have to go there and set the vendor tent up um because we also 
our clientele, our, our customer, our market is also military. So it's just not the competition or the hunters. It's also the military. So I have to fill my schedule up. Um, but yeah, the comp, the comp schedule fills the calendar up pretty quickly. And then there's the trade shows. So yeah, I have to like, as soon as these schedules came out, I already printed out every month on a calendar, laminated it so that I can dry erase and scratch it off because it changes 80 million times. And then I got to submit a budget. Um, so <laughs> I love yeah. it. All the behind the scenes stuff of this that keeps me up till like nine, 10 o'clock at night. And then I'm like, okay, then I can go with ammo, go to a match. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. When people are like, uh, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, you need to book me 17 months out for one. And then it's like, where are you staying for this match? I was like, I don't know. Is that two months away or like a week away? Cause I can tell you now the, the other stuff, it's not there yet. <laughs> it's just, yes. Yeah. I can't keep track unless it's on my calendar on my phone. I live on my phone. <laughs> right here beside me. And I have it muted right now. So it doesn't bother us doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome though. Um, okay. So going back to like, you were mentioning a little bit about open division, the, the gas division, I guess there's, a, have I have this right on base division, right? Like an entry level class. So you have, so on the PRS side, you have open production open tactical production and gas gun those are the four main um so open is where you're going to see majority of the competitors that's your six millimeters your six fives that are running uh, you know velocities up to 3200 feet per second the max velocity for both prs and nrl um is 3200 feet per second one that keeps people even on the playing field of muzzle velocity and, and projectile and ballistics too, it helps the match directors save their steel. Yeah. Because if you start running anything faster than that, you're gonna start damaging steel. Um, there is also a caliber restriction for both, and that's 30 cal or cartridge <laughs> restriction, excuse me. 30 cal, 300 wind mag. You're not gonna see anyone running a you know 300 wind mag that much. There's only two people I know who successfully run a 300 wind mag at PRS or NRL matches. Um, one of them is Craig Thomas. He's a Vortex Precision Rifle team member of mine. Uh, he's the only one I can see run a through and win mag like a champ, and he does it. Uh, he's known, so he's he's the except, exception. Really Craig, okay. I love you. Shout out to Craig. He'll run that through and win mag, and it, he that recoil bucks him just like it's a twenty-two. Cool. Um, but you're not going to see three thirty-eights. You're not going to see you know three hundred weather B magnums your hunt your your grandfather's hunting rifle large magnum hunting rifles you are not going to see them at prs matches you're going to see heavy rifle setups upwards of 25 pounds or more shooting six millimeter uh low recoiling six millimeter so that you can spot your misses and see trace some people like myself still like to run fast six millimeters like the 6xe i'm usually at like 2950 3,000 feet per second. Uh, a lot of people are running BRs, um, six millimeter BRs, BRAs, dashers, GTs at like 2850 or 2800, even as slow as 2700 or 27, 2750 feet per second. So they can see that trace and spot their, their misses or their impacts on the target. So um, it's just where you want to run that six millimeter. You don't see too many six fives amongst the heavy competition, like the diehards. Six five is still an entry, and I still it's still a good training round, training cartridge. But a lot of people have shied away from the six fives, and that started around 2018. Okay. 
Um, you start seeing a big shift around 2016 to 2018 away from 6.5 cartridges down to six millimeter cartridges. Okay, and what was the, the tactical division? Like what is that? Okay, for? tactical division, um, always up for some good uh, drama in the tact division because uh, it's 30 cal and you're supposed to be running ammunition that is representative of duty ammunition. <laughs> so but here's where you can game it at. You, you can run box ammunition that is used in duty rifles. It's it's supposed to allow the military and law enforcement to bring their duty duty rifles to competitions and compete in the division. Mm -hmm. um, so the caliber restriction that is, of course, it's 30 cal or 223 with the bullet weight on the 30 cal side being nothing over uh, 178 grains. Okay. And a velocity cannot exceed 2,800 feet per second with the 308. Oh, wow. So you have to run them slow because yeah. what that does is that's a check for anyone that wants to make their own ammunition and try to gain mm -hmm. running a 308 with, a, say, 155 grain burger hybrid at like 3,000 feet per second. Now you have a ballistic edge over someone using 308 ammunition out of a box. Right. right. So a lot of people err on using 175 grain TMKs and SMKs for that and trying to keep their velocity like it. They, a lot of people try to push the velocity right at like 2780, <laughs> you know, right to that very line of where they it doesn't cross 2800 mark. Mm -hmm. 223 is a little different. You can run up to, I believe, uh, 78 grain projectile so that encompasses 62 grain 69 grain and 77 grain otms but you cannot run it faster than 2900 feet per second mm. 2900 or 3000 i have to go look uh, it's been a while since i dabbled in or shot in tact division but i shot strictly 308 when i was tact division. that's pretty cool yeah so and then production is the rifle has to be on the approved production list right. from the prs uh, I'm not going to mention that because that's lately been up for a lot of discussion and controversy, and we'll just skip that topic. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, I have a dumb question then um, that I probably should have known or, or asked y'all. Then I guess have a chrono stage or whatever. You have to chrono your gun to get that feet per second to make sure you're legal at matches or no? Okay, great question. Here, let me stir the pot a little. There should be. There should be something set up because it we're when we go to matches, a lot of us are on the honor uh, honor factor of not going, especially the TAC division, are on the honor code of not being over that max velocity. I can tell you right now, anyone in open divisions not running anything over 3,200 feet per second. If they are, they're dealing with a lot of recoil and they're not competitive and they're not winning matches. Okay. You want to bring that recoil impulse down to where you can keep the glass and basically the reticle on the target. Mm -hmm. If you're running anything at 32 over 3,200 feet per second, your gun has to probably weigh 40 pounds so it doesn't kick back, especially oh, wow. six millimeter. Um, but, I mean, there's some competitors running 28 pound rifles with a six millimeter short cartridge. Okay. It's all about keeping that recoil down. Um, but for tactical division, definitely there needs to be a check to that. And that was a lot of, there was a lot of talk and a lot of back talk, <laughs> and a lot of controversy and a lot of, a little bit of finger pointing between people. Um, 
2016 through 2019 in TAC division, who may be possibly over the velocity limit. And yeah, um, I believe there needs to be that verification. Uh, and I'm not saying this because I work for a chronograph brand. Uh, I'm saying it because it just keeps everyone fair and it weeds out anyone that wants to cheat or who has cheated. That's common. I, I Yeah, you can end that there. But like even with, again, USPSA, Chrono is huge. When they go sub minor, like you're not dealing with recoil and you should be on the lower level of point scoring. I mean, that's shocking that you don't verify and check that, especially in major matches where the win can matter. Oh my gosh. Yes. There's so, so much drama in these sports, by the way. <laughs> there is drama, but the rules are there and they need to be enforced. And that yeah. was one of the biggest thing is, you know, for, for tactical division, it has a, it's the only thing that really has the velocity that mm -hmm. needs to be checked. And occasionally some match directors do. And occasionally they don't announce, some have announced it, some others. Jim C had a match two years ago, three years ago, where he said, everyone's going to chronograph. Everyone that runs a 308 um, is going to chronograph their rifle. And we're going to have an R. When you came in to sign in in zero and you were attack division, you had an RO volunteer walk with you up to the zero line, watched you put the chronograph on and watched your numbers and said, you're good. If you weren't good, you weren't shooting that match. Thank you for coming all the way out. You're now ROing or helping. Or pull out your backup rifle and go shoot open division. Yeah. Either or. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple matches where I didn't have 175 grain bullets uh, on in my reloading room. So, but I had over 2,155 grain burger bullets. You know what it is? I shot 308 in open division. Yeah. I shot against all the six millimeters. I just bumped up the charge weight where I know I wouldn't have pressure issues and pushed a 155 grain bullet at almost 3,050 feet per second. And I had the same drops as some people shooting 653. That holds. That was completely different <laughs> <laughs> yeah but my elevation was under some people shooting six five by four seven and six five three oh, wow. I was pushing that 155 grain fast all yeah. the recoil <laughs> I had all the recoil on that rifle <laughs> I just I'm surprised so I'm glad I asked um yeah, yeah I think checking that is totally fair um because yeah yeah I'll leave that alone <laughs> yeah I mean and so the PRS season's done so the next match after Halloween weekend is the PRS finale. And um, it's the top, I think it's the top five or top 10 tactical people, tactical competitors are, got the invite. I'm probably top five. So I don't know if they're gonna get chronographed or not, but it's usually, a, you know, you can usually tell off of people's trace for the year if someone's been running when they arc that slow moving 308 in. That trace looks a lot different from a fast moving six five or six millimeter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there there needs to be some verification. That's always been talked about. Um, and of course, you know, I work with Magneto Speed. I get it that getting a Magneto Speed on a rifle is kind of um, cumbersome sometimes. So you, you, there is the lab radar for people that have lab radars that do work. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but um yeah i mean you can use the labrador or the magneto speed get the velocity verify pull a bullet check the bullet weight you know these are some things that need to be enforced um you know for that division same with the production division is if you gotta ensure that, that it's the right one on the approved list 
Um, I got, I don't run the NRL. I don't run the PRS. I'm just going to echo what a lot of people have said in the past that we make rules. We have to enforce them. Um, Both series leagues have been a lot better about doing that. Um, There's growing pains. The precision rifle, the competition precision rifle scene is fairly new when you compare it to F class or some of the older competition sports. And it grew, it grew so quick, so fast in the last five years that um, it the rules had to catch up. And match directors have to enforce the rules. Um, ROs have to be that that enforcement too at the stages. But again, it's a customer service thing. So we don't want to be complete D-bags and, and assholes to the people that take the time, take the money to come out and shoot. Yeah. Um, so it's a fine line. But again, rules are rules. They're there to keep us fair. They keep, keep the playing field fair and to keep us safe. And we have, we have to follow them from the competitors all the way up to the match director. Oh, I think that's fair. Um, yep. Again, I, I go back to what I know. But yeah, we pull bullet weights for Corona. We have you know sacrifice eight rounds whatever sometimes we get a few back but even like in three gun like you can't shoot certain shots at steel because you're going to ruin the, the match director steel and exactly and you can't slug a target and we know when a steel target's been slugged <laughs> yeah so yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> twice I'm not friends with a couple couple uh match directors in three gun and i i i because t1000s get used in three gun too and they're like hey man t1000s got smoked someone i'm like that's fine that happens oh. yeah they shot a shotgun at a rifle target I'm like how does that happen oh it happens you would be surprised and not at the no. same time <laughs> I, I i got stories on stories about crazy things happening <laughs> <laughs> i love it um yeah. okay so when we were talking about like some of those um different divisions and stuff what would be like some good i guess you don't say stock guns but like good entry-level guns that people could get into versus like you know the custom ones um, the companies out there making custom stuff. So there's a couple companies, uh, a couple brands that are doing, I mean, production, uh, and I don't have the production list up on me. You can find it on the PRS website, um, but an off-the-shelf Ruger Precision Rifle, an off-the-shelf Tika T3, um, Bergera B14, you know, anything in 6.5 Creed. Now they're doing them in six millimeters. Some companies are doing them in 6GT, 6 Dasher but they're production rifles that are done at the companies on a production level. Mm-hmm. So you can jump into it with, with a 6.5 uh, chambered rifle or a six millimeter chambered rifle and be competitive right off the bat, but still be in the production division. Um, scopes also too, there is a, there's, I think it's a $2,500 uh, MSRP limit on some of scopes. And they have a list of the scopes that are authorized for the production division um so you can jump right into it you don't need to go the route of a seven thousand dollar to ten thousand dollar custom rifle you can get a production rifle right off the shelf go to a match get all your gear straight get your data and then be competitive um and competitors have proved this time and time again at club matches they've taken one of their off-the-shelf production style rifles out of their safe gone to a match and shot really well with it so it's really not the rifle sometimes it's the sack of flesh behind the the scope that makes it go good <laughs> no but you can buy your way to victory don't you know well i mean so what's his name he runs the podcast with the the van halen always in the middle he's a i forget his name i used to listen to his podcast all the time 
um he's a uspsa competitor and he has the the heavy metal music that starts out and to win or to be competitive at the regional level takes time money and resources Mm -hmm. it takes more to be more competitive at the national level and then you want to go to the world level it all takes time money and resources yeah so it, it depends on how competitive you want to be and how much you want to be into it that how much time money and resources you want to dump into it yeah <laughs> so i mean of course adding weights to your rifle isn't going to increase your hit percentage um it may help balance the rifle up better i mean but in the end, in precision rifle, it's your wind calls, how you balance that rifle out, how you manage to recoil, and then your mindset. I mean, that's across the board on any shooting sport. Yeah. Um, but with precision rifle, it's it's really about how you how you judge that wind. Wind is the ultimate deciding factor. How how good of a wind caller you are. How good can you build a position and stabilize that rifle, eliminate the wobble and break a shot within 15 seconds. So, you know, 15 seconds might be slow, sometimes 10 seconds. What? So you, you gotta have all that. So your brain's gotta be running that ballistic calculator and that, that, that wind, that wind judging pretty quick. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Someone said to me this weekend, actually like 92% of shooting is mental and 8% is mental. <laughs> They're right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're right. Totally right. <laughs> So can you go anywhere and not read wind? Like if you're out to dinner, if you're like somewhere <laughs> like on the beach, are you just reading wind? I uh, I need to do that more often, to be honest <laughs> with you. I don't get to shoot and wind that much. The range I practice out here in Texas uh, is kind of, uh, it is, and I should be going to Reveille Peak. I don't know if you're familiar with Reveille Yes, Reveille. I was just there this summer. Oh yeah, I, I live an hour away from there. So uh, I know Clayton, Clayton runs um, ATX Precision. We actually have a PRS match, national level match out there uh, yearly, the Reveille Peak Ranch Open. Um, but I need to go out there more, and that's an hour away. I'm usually going down to Copperhead Creek in Marble Falls to practice. We have a 600-yard range, and they put little prairie dogs on a 600, 500, 400, and they're really small targets. And it's a great thing for me to verify my velocity is, is dead on. If I'm able to hit that that prairie dog consistently at 600 yards, um, but there's no wind out there, yeah. Uh, and when the wind picks up, it's it gets just jacked up by all the trees in the, in the terrain there. So I don't get good wind calling practice. Um, my wind calling practice is usually going up to Oklahoma and getting my teeth kicked in, um, going up up there um, because they have some heavy winds. Um, and that's why a lot of the Oklahoma guys are, and girls are some of the best shooters, um, cause they're, they're going out into that wind and they're constantly shooting in 10, 15, 20 mile per hour full value winds. Um, uh, if you don't train in wind, you're not going to get any better. So, you know, the old adage is if you want to get better in, in, with wind calls, you got to shoot in wind. Um, but I do like the, one of my Kestrels goes everywhere with me. It's in my truck. I keep it as kind of a spare. And then as I'm driving down the road, I'll look at the flag and be like, oh, maybe that's a 10 mile per hour. Maybe that's a five mile per hour. I'll, I'll try to do that. Yeah. Um, but I need to do that more. <laughs> You're <laughs> you not weird. Enough, you can never, you can never, uh, never get enough training on wind calling. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about Kestrels. Um, okay. You work with them and I'd love to know for people that don't know, 
of what they are, what they do. I'm going to give like a synopsis on that. So for those listening, I am holding a Kestrel. <laughs> you can go to the Kestrel website, www.kestrelballistics.com. For those watching, this is a Kestrel. It's basically an anemometer, which is a wind, um, wind reading device, wind measure, and you got the impeller, and then you got your screen, and you have your ballistics program in there. And what this does is I have all my gun variables, which are in bullet uh, data and my gun data in here, and it generates a solution once you get your atmospherics and the wind. Um, so this little thing is the magic eight ball that will tell you what your solution is, but it's still up to you to make that scientific wild ass guess on the wind, because this can tell you the wind at your position. It cannot tell you the wind at the pier. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How many of those do you have, by the way? Uh, well, before I got hired, before Kestrel bought Magneto Speed, I had one. And then I put the request in to get every model so that I can get trained up on it. So now I roll to a match with uh, two of them. I keep a 5700 Elite, which is my primary. My backup is a 5700X. So the X is like the F1 Ferrari high class, the one that the, you know, has the much faster solution but i like the 5700 elite um because i like to have both of them there um uh, 5700x being the backup i got backups backups <laughs> <laughs> so the, the picture i sent you with me behind the reticle and i have a pair of binoculars which is my primary and then on the other side i have a pair of uh, vortex furies <laughs> and that also has my gun profile in it and has uh, all my data, and I can actually use that to generate a solution. I got two cash rolls, and then I keep our data cards in my bags. <laughs> Everything fails. All of a sudden, all electronics decide to crap the bed. I can pull out hard data cards and still rock and roll. But uh, I have a lot of cash rolls. Uh, I got the whole marketing kit downstairs, and I, I keep cash rolls to display and show. And every once in a while, I might have to spot one and give someone because there's crapped out on a match. Um, yeah, Clay Black, Black. Ketter. Hey, I said your last name right, Clay. Clay Blackheader. Because everyone calls him Blackletter. Uh, <laughs> he, he runs Clay's cartridge uh, company up in Oklahoma. He's probably one of the best competitors in the nation right now. Uh, his, his One of his Kestrels went down right before the NRL championship match last year. And I'm like, here, here's the one. Go take it and go. Got him back up and running. So, um, you know, just like that, just on-site support that's why i keep some extra stuff with me especially magneto speed replacement parts people move the pads plastic spacers out of their kit and i have to plus them up right there at the match so i keep a like basically a field kit with me that's cool that's awesome yeah. so for for people that don't know what is the data that the kestrel gets from the different environments that they're in what are they pulling Oh, wow. So a Kestrel will pull uh, your atmospherics. It's going to pull um, your density altitude. It's going to pull barometric pressure, humidity, uh, wind chill. I mean, it gives you so many different weather, weather points and data points on it. Um, one of the big things with the Kestrel is that density altitude. Of course, wind speed, crosswind, uh, headwind. Um, it, it has an internal compass. There's just so much that it does. Uh, and 
you understand Kestrel ballistics was an offshoot of Kestrel meters because anything that requires weather, such as sports, construction, firefighting, um, anything outdoors that requires the weather, um, we, we, we help those markets out. So Kestrel Meters, which is another brand under the parent company that owns Kestrel Ballistics and Magnetospeed has Kestrel Meters and they have a bunch of other specifically just for weather and atmospherics. Mm -hmm. So um, the ballistic side of it was, hey, let's take the magic of the ballistics and put it into a weather meter. And now you have your one station for everything. It's cool. It's really yeah. cool, guys. Now, the um, data entry is where you can also fail, I feel like, because that's the user error. <laughs> oh, okay. So what people, uh, so let, let's, let's change that verbiage. What people mess up. Yeah. So what, what's the common um, mistakes people do with the inputting their, their data into a cash flow? Uh, the number one is, um, not having the correct gun profile. So you have multiple, this, this will hold 30 gun profiles. So you have all your data correct. You have everything ready to go for a match and then little match and you just didn't have the right gun profile selected and you start the match and your data is not matching where your bullet's hitting. You're off like two mils. You're like, man, why am I hitting so low? Why is my bullet flying way over the, because you didn't select the right gun profile. That's happened. It happened this, it happened past on Sunday. I had a person, I heard a person that had the wrong gun profile in their Kestrel selected. And I'm like, oh, such a simple mistake. Yeah. So you have all these gun profiles in there and this is basically a digital library of, of all the rifles you have. Make sure you go to a match and you input the right gun profile because some people might be running multiple 6.5 Creedmoor um, hand loads in the same rifle, but they had three different profiles for it. Um, another big mistake is, um, is not matching your G1 or G7 drag model to the DC bullet coefficient. They'll mix and match those. So if you put a G1 drag model in, you have to run the G1 bullet coefficient DC, because if not, you're going to mix and match in your intended trajectory. Your projected trajectory is not going to match your real trajectory and things are going to be off and you're going to be going oh, like my Kestrel, it's messed up. My chronograph is wrong. And then people blame me and I'm like, no. And I get those phone calls. Um, scope over bore height. Very, very frequently, a lot of people overlook the accuracy uh, and the importance of scope over bore height. And they'll measure it and they'll say, they'll, it'll be off a quarter of an inch. Ooh. Yeah, you want your scope over bore height to be as accurate as possible because of, the further you shoot, the more deviation there is between what your scope over bore height is inputted in on this and what it really is, your trajectory is going to be off again. Because yeah. now you're referencing an optic above a bore line and you have to reference both of those. And people get that wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, the old adage is, you know, trash in, you put trash into this, it's going to give you trash out. Yep. Um, and occasionally, uh, one of my mentors, Jacob Bynum, you may, you may be right at like 400 yards and 800 yards. And he comes as, you know, a broken clock's right twice a day. <laughs> it is. It it, is. It'll say four o'clock at 4 a.m. and at 4 p.m. So it'll be a broken clock's right twice a day. You may, this may be right at two different ranges, but everything else might be off because right. of your bad inputs. Right. 
Oh my gosh. Now the flip side of that too, I feel like there's a an underuse of kestrels by shooters, right? Um, so I wouldn't say underuse. Um, most of the competitors are using it to the capabilities that they need it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, we're always trying to to increase the capabilities based on feedback. Mm-hmm. We're always taking the feedback from competitors, from military, from hunters. To make our products better um so i wouldn't say underuse there there's a couple features that can be used that aren't used as much that i don't hear people using as much mm-hmm. the the one that i i hear a lot of people not using is the mb calc table and that's when they take a muzzle velocity you know say to range at 79 degrees they don't log that into into their mb calc table and then they go to a range where it's colder or they go you know, somewhere else in the country and the temperature is 40 degrees and they don't log that in. Well, if you log that in after a while, you start building a pattern of what your muzzle velocity on that specific rifle and load. If you change any other variables, it's off anyway. So if you change yeah. bullets, power, lot, you have to start all over again. But if you have that known load, that known recipe, that known velocity, and it's the same barrel and you constantly are chronographing it, where you go, you can build a table off of where your temperature is doing. So I think that's one of the under one underutilized um, things on the Kestrel. Um, other than that, a lot of the competitors using the Ford off or the applied ballistics are using it how they should be doing it. Um, and it gives you options. One of the things I see a lot of people doing, um, and this is just me, I use clock direction. You can select the clock direction for your reference in your targets or direction of fire, and then you can select it for the wind. A lot of people will not calibrate their compass and try to get a bearing, and it'll throw it off. So you can use clock direction or you can use degrees. I try to keep it simple. I don't do bearing capture uh, as much. I just say 12 o'clock is always the, the, where my barrel's pointing. It's just from the army side of me, like wherever I'm facing, it's always 12 o'clock. And if the wind is off my three o'clock or it's off my nine o'clock, that's what I'll input the wind in. Yeah. Other yeah. people will try to capture the bearing and do live capture. That's there's no problem with that. Yeah. There different methods that I'm fine with that. You know, brain structure, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um imagine this. So let me give you some math problems. Three plus one. What's that? Four. What's two plus two? Four. Okay. What's two times two? <laughs> Just bear with me. Stick with me here. Okay. I'm gonna blow your mind. In. I'm gonna blow your mind in a minute. What? Okay. Two plus two. What's or two times two? What's that? Four. Five minus one. Four. Okay. How many methods uh, did I give you to reach the same objective? I feel like that was five, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I give you I give you a bunch of different ways to reach the same end state. Mm-hmm. and that's impacts on target right mm-hmm. there you go mm-hmm. so your method on how to use this might not be my method yeah and your method of doing something might not be my method but we're still trying to reach the same conclusion right getting points and impacts on target right mm-hmm. yep so you can't say that you have to use it this way or have to do it this way it's very subjective yeah um there are very few absolutes in precision rifle. And one of the absolutes is you always have to trust the bullet. The bullet doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you can shoot with your bipod on a mat. You can shoot with your bipod off a mat. You can shoot front loading or or, or or push or pull technique. It depends on how you your body is, and every a lot of things are subjective. So when people say absolutely you have to do this, I kind of go, no, watch. I'll do it a different way, and I'll still get the impact on the target. Cool. So there are very few absolutes uh, on precision rifle. So I, I can't say you have to use clock method with the kestrel. You have to do this with the kestrel. There are certain things you have to do in order for this to work correctly, but there's certain things that everyone does differently with it. So yeah, same. There's different methods. All reach the same end state, and that's getting impacts on target and trying to win matches. That's fair. Okay, that's that's easy. That makes sense. <laughs> yep. Now diving into magneto speed, um, let's talk about like that. What is magneto speed? Why should you chronograph? How does it go on a gun? I mean, I've chronoed plenty of rifles, so yeah. Oh, you've got okay. one. <laughs> so got a V3 bayonet right here. So this is a V3 magneto speed bayonet. This goes actually on the rifle, and if anyone's following along, not watching, you can go see a bunch of videos, look up magneto speed chronographs, attaches right onto the barrel, or you can get an off the barrel mount uh, from a bunch of companies. And basically what this does, and well, first off, well, do we have the chat? Oh, we don't have chat, do we? I can drop you a video. Oh, I thought we did. No. Uh, yes, we do. Okay. There we go. Wonder if I can drop you the video and you can screen share it while we're talking. Would that work? Let's try. Okay, let's try. <laughs> All right, let's go. This is straight what I, the, this video right here will be basically, let me copy that. All right. Uh, it's not going to let it post. Uh, that sucks. I can link to it in when I post this on uh Okay. I'll so, send it to you. Yeah. yeah. So the video that she's going to probably show um, is an animation. It shows the magnetic fields. So you have sensor one and sensor two, your muzzles back here, and the projectile actually flies. And I don't have enough spare projectile. So bolt will come out, projectile will come out, go right over the sensor deck, fly over the two sensors, and these two magnetic sensors will pick up the signal of the projectile and send it back to the display through a cable and you'll get your muzzle velocity. So is it tracking the bullet on a target though, still? No, it's so, just... so you have a, a magnetic sensor here that puts out a magnetic field, a magnetic sensor here that puts out a magnetic field. And as the bullet goes through that, it generates a electronic signal. Okay. Because you're putting metal through a magnetic field and that creates an electronic signal. And distance traveled versus time traveled creates muzzle velocity. And those signals are sent back to the display and it gives you a rendering of what the bull is doing. So uh, let me pull this one up. This is <laughs> yeah, I got my display from this past weekend. <laughs> See, I'll never use one of those. I've used the lab radar, but I know you have to kind of like track the bullet and make sure it's in a certain place is way easier. Yep, so if you see, I got all my data right there. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives you your, your shot string, your individual shots, your maximum, your minimum, your ES and your SD, uh, and then your average velocity. So that was what I went to Sunday's match with. 
So I had an ES, an extreme spread of um, nine and an ES of 2.8. Low. Which is very good for a percentage. Yeah. Now, how many rounds do you shoot to get that data, that average? I recommend for a match, I usually do 10 to 15. Okay. because we usually do stages anywhere from eight rounds all the way up to 12 rounds and i want to see what the one magazine of what one full mag will do in my rifle once i have the barrel heated up so i'll zero confirm zero and then i'll put the chronograph on and then get data off of the hot barrel we shoot we only have one cool bore two cool bore shots all match that's the first shot on day one and the first shot on day two Right. We are not doing cool bore chronographing we, or patterning. We are doing hot bore, um, basically hot barrel chronograph. So you want to get that barrel temperature up prior to chronographing to mimic what you're doing at the match. Right. Boom. That's really, yeah. that. that's the one thing. I mean, that's a lot I've learned, but that's one thing that really just stuck out to me the most. Like that makes sense. Wow. You got that. You got that. So wow. Like that is, that's brilliant. <laughs> A lot of people want to zero and chronograph at the same time to save components. That's great. But uh, again, during during a competition, I'm speaking strictly competition shooting. Yeah. You only have four shots the whole match. And that is your first shot on day one and your first shot on day two. So out of 181 possible points or shots, two of them are going to be cold bore. Don't focus on what your rifle's doing under cold bore. Focus on what your rifle's doing hot after you have 10, 20 rounds through it. That's why I chronograph after I zero. Okay, so this is not very far, I guess, in your world, but I've shot in a match out to 650, right? Um, I'm kind of questioning now whether or not I chronoed it well enough because I feel like there's match directors that always put the stupid paper before you go to long range, and that's a different barrel temperature. Does that matter? So first off, 650 is, is an average target for us. Yeah, exactly. It's not far for y'all. It's yeah. not far. It's not far. So, but it's still long enough that still eats a lot of people's lunch, depending on the conditions. Yeah. So at 650, we can sometimes get 12 inch or 10 inch or even eight inch or even six inch targets. Oh, wow. So okay. when it's this past weekend, and I, I just got to say it's 650, we had people zeroing a lot of the 600 yard and 500 yard targets this past weekend because Mirage was so bad that it washed the targets out completely. Anything, nothing. There was no berms behind it. Uh, so you were sending it on a prayer of like, <laughs> I hope my wind goes right in back. Oh, it was right. And then your neck, you, you missed the rest of your shot. I got one. So, um, go back to what your question was with the the hot barrel versus cold barrel the paper targets mm -hmm. um, so, does that matter if if i've only chronoed my long range ammo versus and and i've chronoed the the burner ammo as i say but like i feel like i always have a hot barrel before i go long range or prone or whatever they do for us um you want to keep your if you're if you're getting a hot hot barrel chronograph be keep it consistent so if you know you're going to be shooting and if the course of fire has that paper stage where your barrel is going to be hot and then you're rolling right into a long range, you get to switch your ammunition. Of course, chronograph your long range ammunition while your barrel is hot. Don't try to get a cold bore shot. Yeah. ARs is even more different because when you chronographing ARs, there's always the difference of how that first round is chambered under mechanical pressure or mechanical operation of releasing the bolt and letting the AR send it home under spring tension 
versus gas impingement and then coming back and picking up the round and seeding it under normal cycle operation. The okay. seeding, the, the bullet is seeded different. Yeah. It just, it happens. So you're, you're one round off of when you let that bolt, when you're at the range, you're testing your ammunition and you release the bolt catch and that bolt goes forward and sends that first round into chamber, it locks and it's under mechanical force that could seat that round different than it was when it came back and starts picking up, picking up the rest of the round. I, when I'm doing ARs, I throw up my first round. Okay. Okay. Boom. That first round on that string, I just, I, I don't even look at it. I delete it, especially if it was the first magazine, you know, yeah. and it was Cold War. I definitely delete it. Okay. But for all the time I've done ARs, I've always thrown out the first round. Okay. That's competition only. Yeah. For anyone listening that's military and law enforcement, <laughs> don't listen to that. You, you might need that to, shot. <laughs> you might, you have to. So, and, and hunting as well. Yeah. So, a lot of hunters, a lot of the precision rifle market, majority of the precision rifle market, the biggest bubble, the biggest um, slice or Venn diagram circle of the precision rifle market is hunting. And of course, you, you're you only taking one or two shots. You're only maybe loading 300 rounds a year for hunting. Some people have. Like I'm doing 300, 400, 500 rounds a month. Some people that are just doing straight hunting may not be doing that many rounds and they cannot afford to, you know, dump 10, 15 rounds into a string. Of course, they need to chronograph to find that velocity off those first couple of rounds. Yeah. They're going to be hunting cold boar. So um, there, there, there's different applications require different needs. Um, just because I'm doing competition, I can't say that you have to do all that for all your precision rifles. Right. Okay. Military and law enforcement, completely different realm of world, um, and hunting, completely different. So, you know, bear in mind what your application is going to drive your methods and your your techniques and your tactics. Brilliant. I learned a lot just there. That that all made so much sense. <laughs> so much. Um, okay, I skipped on the tangent there, but going back to the magneto speed, um, yeah. what data does it, like, that you have to put into with the standard deviation and, and all the differences, what are you putting into the Kestrel? And then how does that determine your holds, your dialing and all of that? So the only variable that comes off of the chronograph, any ballistic chronograph on the market, commercial chronograph right now, it goes into the Kestrel that, it, that the Kestrel will accept is your average velocity. Okay. Um, so your ES, your extreme spread, your standard deviation, your minimum and your maximum are just data points for you to look at the at and have them but the only data point that goes into the kestrel to complete the ballistic solution is your average velocity okay that's that's the that's the big one um now let me power up the display on the v3 quick question too so if your spread is not a nine and it's like a hundred you're still <laughs> you're whatever the bad the bad number is what's the bad number what's a bad hundreds of bad i would not go to a match what's i would the not lowest... shoot a match with 100 yes okay that's bad. Right what's now. the what's the lowest bad number what's the lowest bad number yeah uh i'd go to a club match with nothing over 40 okay so 40 say 40 and above whatever you're starting over and figuring out your bullet reloading or whatever right? i have an es of 40 and like an sd of 20 coming off my reloading bench first i'm gonna go see if i was reloading drunk 
And then I'm going to go look at my dies. Then I'm going to go look at all my components because <laughs> I, uh, if you're good at reloading, you should not be chucking ES of 50 and SP of like 20 ammunition off your reloading gun. Um, I don't reload this that shows uh, you all you <laughs> so that's that the hand loading controls those 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 factors those variables but I've I've thrown some factory ammunition and had an ES of like 30 or 40 and you're at the one what the factory ammunition does in that rifle yeah so think of it this way uh let, let me blow your mind again I've taken six different brands of six five Creedmoor and put them all into the same rifle and I've had six different results. Mm -mm. Yeah. So good. I've taken, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell one brand over the other. I've taken yeah. brand one and it had an ES of uh, 20 and an SD of like seven. Then I've taken brand two and I had like an ES of 50 and an SD of 20. Then I've taken brand three, ES of 10 and an SD of like 0. 0.5. Wow. So it, when you start using factory ammunition, you're giving yourself up to what your rifle, the, the Reamer specs, and what that rifle likes in the factory ammunition. Yeah. So load development for factory ammunition is buying multiple different boxes and trying it out. And then even then, you have to see if there's a lot deviation. Right. So right. where you save on factory ammunition is time because all you have to do is go click, wait for delivery. I don't have to reload. Sure. And you're you're ready to go to the match, or you buy it at the match from federal or someone else that's a rep, and it's good to go. You're you're ready to rock and roll. You don't have to spend the the time prepping the brass and sizing the necks and expanding the necks, all that stuff to control those variables. Yeah. But yeah. we're in the precision rifle game. I like to have my ES at ten and my SD below four. And so I'll spend the time doing that. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into reloading one day. I'm not there on uh, time. Yeah. And, and I blow things up and break things. So I'm not that confident. <laughs> yeah. <We're, laughs> all right. I have to say, you, you said blow things up. Um, <laughs> I know me. And I, that's all I have to tell people. Like, you're right. You're right. That's fair. <laughs> I cannot judge you. I pass no judgment because I've blown the hand primer up. I've blown a rifle up and I've had rocks blow up in my face all last year, by the way. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> I blew a hand primer up right in my face. 130 primers went off. What? Yeah. We won't go into that story, but yeah. And anyone that's listening that's been in, that follows me, knows me, is friends with me, that uh, it was two years ago. Yeah. Or, you know, two years ago now. Uh, yeah. Blew a hand primer up right in my face. Um, a lot of different factors went into it, but it was me being impatient, not, um, yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> up real quick. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I won't judge you on blowing stuff up. I'm, uh, I have a pattern of doing that to the point where people are trying to buy me an ES. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Another tangent. Okay. So going another tangent back to for another time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so going back to the, is it V3 that you're going to do? V3. Yeah. So. The V3, um, you get this on the rifle. Uh, so a lot of people try to put it off the barrel because there is some discussion of hanging this on a barrel will affect the point of impact, point of aim relation. Okay. That, that's a, another rabbit hole we can go down. If you want to contact me at Magneto Speed, I can talk to you about it. But so you're getting that data and, you know, right here, I'll try to, 
hopefully no uh come on come on go back trying to light up there we go all right so oh this is so bad no, actually hold on a minute <laughs> we're on zoom right mm -hmm. yeah buddy <laughs> we can set up what i do for the zoom class look at this thing state of the art i don't have my head headset in so we can set these she's like what is this guy doing I so it. i teach the zoom classes for magneto speed and i show buttonology using a second camera that it's like man you're screwing up my show hey <laughs> oh this is interesting the people that actually watch it on youtube get it out of bonus of learning yes they do so <laughs> so all right let me fire this up and you will see how the display shows information this is like third grade teaching yes <laughs> the projector <laughs> the projector so it's a much more organized and better angle when i um uh, when i do all this but so um let me pull the display out of its protective case here and you can see all this great information <laughs> all right wow it lights up so there it goes through its group and bayo unplugged i don't have a bayonet plug to it so all right, so you have your maximum, your minimum, your average, and your SD. That's what the display will show you. So your maximum velocity, your minimum velocity, your average velocity, and then your SD. You have to select whether it shows ES or SD, but I mean, I can I can do in my head the difference between 49 and 57. Hmm. So um, what I can't do in my head, and, and if someone can do it in their head, <laughs> find me i want to know how great of a savant you are at math is calculate standard deviation <laughs> deviation because that formula is ridiculously long and takes many multiple lines of computation mm -hmm. but if you can do it please give me a call i want to meet you i'll buy you a beer so <laughs> that's why i keep it on sd because most of us cannot figure out sd uh, on a shot string with 10 different variables um, but we can figure out how to subtract 57 from 49. So I keep it on SD. <laughs> well, I'll still pull my calculator out on my phone and try to do it sometimes. <laughs> like it. <laughs> so that's what it shows. Um, and then we have a bunch of different options, archiving series, deleting a shot. So deleting a shot. So for anyone listening that has a V3 or a chronograph in general, um, a bunch of people show their their shots on Instagram, they're like, man, look at, I have an ES of like five and an SD of, of two. And I'm like, yeah, how many shots did you delete off that string? You're only having data points. I'm like, way to go. Hashtag uh, deleted shots. Don't well, trust the internet. Don't trust the internet. So these are all my shots. Um, add one low one. But when you're talking an ES of, let me get back to there. So yeah, I mean, that's an ES of eight. Um, and an SD of 2.8. Uh, that's a very tight ES for that ammunition. Oh. Um, you're not getting much vertical dispersion. Vertical dispersion is what ES translates statistically to practically is vertical dispersion on your rounds. A higher, the faster moving round is going to go higher on the target, while the slower moving round is going to go low. Right. And that's if you execute perfect shot process. If you have an ES of 40, um, a one MOA target at 
700 yards out to a thousand, you could miss just basically because of the ammunition. Right. Even at a thousand, a 10 inch target at a thousand yards, an ES of 40, you could be off target just with the ammunition itself, not just with your bad wind call. Yeah. So, yep, that's cool. the display in a nutshell. I do half an hour, an hour and a half long classes monthly uh, on operating this thing and the sporter. We have two different models. Those are the ones on Kestrel Ballistics websites, right? Correct. Yeah, yep. so your, yours is the one class I haven't taken because I haven't had, I don't have a magneto speed yet. <laughs> if I yeah. get into it, when I get into it, yeah, it'll be a thing. <laughs> but I've taken the other ones. I mean, they're free classes. You get to take the basic and the advanced and there's all sorts of people that you meet in there, which is pretty cool too. Yeah, so Katie, Austin, and Joe usually run the, the beginners and advanced Kestrel class. Mm -hmm. uh, then we also have, every once in a while, we'll have the HUD class, which is the heads up display. Which I, I love mine. <laughs> the HUD. I keep this on, on my tripod next to all my spotting scopes and it downloads the information so I can pull and look at the card and manipulate data here. Um, it's great also that if it's a, a match that suddenly starts to rain at or becomes a torrential downpour, <laughs> I'll switch from my data cards that are on the side of the rifle that look like this. This is a data card for one of my matches. So mm -hmm. That went out to 1,060, that's 7.9 mils. I'll switch from a data card to this because this is waterproof and I don't have to worry about writing on it. Whereas this dry erase marker kind of sucks when you're trying to do it in a rainstorm. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. The backup to that is write in rain paper. I actually do those in write in rain, but even then sometimes this is the best thing. I'll just switch to this because uh, I can manipulate all my data off of here. Yeah. Neat. Yep. All right, now that we covered all of the, the job work stuff, now I want to talk about you and shooting and the funness of Pure S. So, Fun. yes, I know um, my friend actually competed at the Gap Grind the last two competitions as an amateur. She's crushing it. So let's talk about the Gap Grind, the pro-am okay. competition, what it what it's about, what it does for, you know, those amateurs. Um, and it just happened pretty recently. Yes, it did. So it, the... The gap grind within the PRS is one of the, it, it's unique. It's the only match that pairs people up um, by amateur, has a set criteria for amateurs and has a set criteria for pros. So you can't stack a team and try to win it. You actually have to follow these guidelines as much as possible and um, you compete as a team. Mm -hmm. So the pros, they do compete for PRS points, but you are still competing for team and you um, you get to help out and coach your amateurs uh, on the clock uh, while they're shooting and help other amateurs out and other pros coach. So it, it's one of those matches that allows you to uh, coach on the clock, allows you to um, you know help assist, move bags, move gear, and get people into the, the sport. The spirit of the Pro-Am is to get new competitors new people into the sport um not by just throwing them in the deep end or jumping into it one of the hardest matches of the year uh and not giving many calls or helping helping them at all and a lot of people get a lot of people get really discouraged when they go to a match and it's their first match and all of a sudden they find out yeah yeah buddy welcome to the hardest match of the season yeah and they're like what the hell am I gotten in? My buddy said, come on here, be easy. I'm like, no, dude, this is not a hard match. Timing out is not fun, but you're beginning. <laughs> Timing out's not fun, you know, but there's still a lot of, 
people that time out no matter what. Yeah. Some stage designs are designed to have you time out. Designed for failure. Thanks, Spock. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there's separator stages. Each match is going to have a separator stage that where the top level competitor, the top 10% will make it through and clean it while the rest of the 90% is not either going to time out or not get all the impact. Yeah. Uh, the gap grind is not designed to have those. It's designed to have um, the course of fire. Everyone shoots the same course of fire. The amateur will shoot bigger targets than the pro. And everyone has the same two-minute time standard. Or I believe it actually might have been 90 seconds. But um, the amateur will shoot larger targets, whereas the pro is shooting smaller targets. And... Sometimes their course of fire requires more movement. The pros course of fire requires a little additional movement and switching between targets, whereas the AM only has to shoot one position, one target. So there's, there's some differences in the course of fire, but they're allowed to get coached on the clock. So that's the one unique part about it is they can get, they can receive wind calls. They can receive guidance from all the pros and even some amateurs if they want to help out behind, um, uh, behind them while they're shooting okay and then the how would like an amateur who has no pros in their life <laughs> find a pro like how do you do that pairing so the best once uh so october is the match the first week in october is historically the pro-am so let's backwards up about four months now they'll start doing the registration and all the the prs will start putting that on the website and on facebook pages and if they want to sign up, the best thing to do is to watch the Facebook groups. Get into the regional Facebook groups that are for the PRS and then um, follow the PRS website, follow the PRS main Facebook page, and you'll start to see the announcements. As soon as registration opens up for individual AMs, you need to be hot getting in there because that match feels quick. Yeah. So if you don't have someone that's a pro or or if you haven't put a team together or you don't know someone and you just you sign up, they will pair you with someone right off the bat. You'll get paired with someone. So roll the dice. You can get you might get paired with someone from Team Gap. You might get paired with uh, you know, Melissa Gillen. You might get paired with, you know, who who knows? You, I mean, I'm I can throw names out there because sometimes people just say, just sign me up as a pro and give me a random amateur. Let's go. Um a lot of people select their amateur early on and they'll start going to matches together and training up together so that they can talk and communicate. Um, I don't find that to be gaming. I don't find that to be wrong. Actually, it's very healthy to do that. Um, reason being is, say for instance, this year, uh, Clayton Porter, he's here in Texas. Uh, he's been in and out of precision rifle matches for a while and this year he finally got serious uh, about it. And um, we started going to matches together, national two-day matches, and he progressively got better and better and better as the year went on. As he started this season, he was below 50 points average for national two-day matches. Well, about two or three, two or three weeks prior to the, the Pro-Am, he actually improved so much, he went to the Arizona match, and his day two scores bumped him up and his average went above the 50% threshold and he got up class. Yeah. So I, I'm not mad about that. I'm yeah. actually very happy. My amateur put the time, the work, he listened, he 
I don't know how much you dry fire in practice, but he, I, I mean, that's on him. I don't know what his daily routine was at home, but he, he, something clicked where he started hitting more targets. He did change his action. He got, and I did get him a magpul chassis. We got it, you know, basically specced out and he fell in love with it and he started shooting and um, with a different mindset and he got better. Yeah. And he actually got upclassed and he actually, this is the first time this has happened to me, he beat me at the Pro-Am by eight points. My amateur beat me at the Pro-Am by eight points. <laughs> that's um, that's, that happens. A lot of amateurs, because they'll go there, uh, will beat their pros. I mean, it happens. Mm -hmm. um, and we finished out of 200 teams. We finished 81st, I believe. Nice. Uh, which is the second highest I've ever finished. Uh, in the pro-am my uh, last year I went with someone and we finished 67 uh, I was just shooting a lot more last year I was practicing a lot more last year than I was this year and I have last year's pro-am I think I had a hit percentage of like 97 percent this year was not that high <laughs> um, but I mean that happens I had you know different time then different time here um, also job related more focus on job this year than I was last year with the acquisition so a lot of things change but um yeah Super I'm happy for Clayton Clayton came Clayton came a long way from the time he started this year to now and that just it, it just really verified that you can start and then you you can progress and he's gotten so much better so I'm happy for him I was proud of him I was actually happy he beat me um, you know, you, you take the razzing, but you know, I got it, huh, Mr. Miyagi? Yeah, <laughs> he changed some things, and I'm glad he, he changed up his mindset. He, he got a new action, um, and stopped talking to himself like you'd miss, and he'd be like, Mother, I'm like, stop talking, focus on the targets. Like, he'd stop doing that. So, it was met, those little changes helped him. Yeah, I think it's daunting to get into some of these sports and it's really, really, really helpful when you have a coach, a mentor, even someone to go to a match with you or guide you. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, I still, and I haven't seen him in a while. Um, Jacob Bynum, I'm going to plug it down there in December, hopefully. Jacob Bynum's godfather in this. Uh, he, he's, I consider him one of my mentors. Um, he's uh, uh, He's been doing this a long time he's the owner and operator of rifles only down in kingsville texas um i miss him I haven't been down there i was supposed to be down there last year but the the weekend of the match was the texas thunder or you know tundra snowstorm and i couldn't leave anywhere i didn't want to die on the roads getting hit by someone who couldn't drive in the snow so yeah um so it's been two years since i've been down at rifles only almost and that's that's unsat that's not supposed to happen yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to get down there in December to see him and Lisa. I miss them. But when I get behind my rifle, I know he's just dissecting everything I am doing from getting behind the rifle, getting my position built, body position, you know, eye relief, because he can just dissect your shot process. And it's, it's scary what he can point out to you uh, just by watching you place your finger on the trigger how you manage that recoil and pulse your follow-through everything yeah. you know bolt manipulation and that's why i consider him one of my mentors another mentor of mine is regina milkovich um you know she's one of the top female competitors 
She's won multiple national level matches, club matches, multiple top lady wins. And, um, you know, she's a big sister to me. Also, you know, mental um, mentor on a lot of things when it came to competition. So, you know, watching her shoot, you know, shot with her a lot. So um, to see them and then teach me, and now I am getting people into the sport. And like this last Sunday uh, at the Redbeard Gun Match, Redbeard Gunworks uh, South Texas Showdown, I had a brand new competitor, her first match ever. And she shot one of the toughest conditions ever. And she didn't quit. And uh, I got second at the match. I finally pulled a good match together, even though it was like 64% percentage because Mirage was so bad. Wow. Like I walked away from the match going, oh man, I'm like in the top 20, top 30. I'm given second. who was there. And like, I finished second. And I was like, okay, I'm surprised. Um, legitimately yeah. surprised I got that many points. Um, and I gave her my, the, I walked the prize table, picked up a Magpul chassis and say, here you go. Um, that's how you start your rifle build so you can get into this. So okay. she got a, she got her chassis. That's yep. so nice of you. Oh, you got to give back. So um, I guess, I guess giving back to people after I have had so many people help me out, yeah. George Gardner, Jeremy Bentham, um, the Vortex team, all the people from Vortex that have helped me out to get me started. George Gardner gave me a barrel and, you know, got me a six millimeter barrel way back when so here you go you know i bought the barrel um and then that's what got my first six creedmoor done and then jeremy bentham got me linked in with defiance and then uh got linked in with vortex optics through reuben ackleson who's you know reuben yep yeah. just on this past whichever yeah. match he shot yeah <laughs> yeah so and then reuben passed me off reuben stayed with the three-gun side and nick Loffenberg picked up the the precision rifle side and then he passed me off to nick and you know nick i've been friends with nick ever since so i mean a lot of people have helped me and i need to you know pay it forward a little bit so yeah um, sometimes i'll donate my prize table walk or i'll give something away to ro's or um you know very rarely when i'm up in the top 10 there's my prize table walk to walk you know you or i'll take off the table and give it to something Okay. Unless it's primers, because I will still grab <laughs> primers, bullets, and gunpowder. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a commodity now. That's what keeps me shooting. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. I know I will never get enough for a prize table, but I will RO the crap out of way too many matches. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm ROing the uh, the the PRS finale. Uh, I'm not shooting it. I'm not competing in it, even though I got the invite. I'm gonna RO it, um, just to give back a little. Um, plus, uh. I'm running low on six millimeter bullets. So of course everyone knows ammo shortage, component shortage right now. So I got to look at 2022, like unless I get a, a big shipment of bullets in, I'm not going to be competing that much with a six millimeter, so. Yeah, it's, it yeah. sucks right now. <laughs> so for you um, over the years, I'm just curious, like how did you improve your shooting? You know, what was your dry fire routine? All of those things that progressed you as a shooter, what did you do? Um, it, my learning curve has been a lot smaller or, I mean, larger than others. I, I've taken a longer time to, to get where I'm at than some others have, mainly because of just life and, and work and everything. Um, biggest thing for me was trying to find balance on the rifle. Uh, for a while there, I was trying to brace on impact uh, on barricades and force the rifle and not get steady. 
and um, sometimes I'm thick-headed and I don't listen to people that are doing things better than me. And I didn't, I didn't embrace some of the trends um, that are were used are still being used. Um, so I had a I had to kind of ditch the ego um, and and watch how people were competing and then make some decisions on gear and then dry fire routine, uh, which I don't I still don't dry fire enough. Um, <laughs> Dave Weiss, who runs his part owner, We Bad, just picked up and started doing dry fire again, 20 minutes to 30 minutes a night. And then he went from like being above mid pack to finishing third, 10th, fifth. It's like he automatically just jumped. And he's been doing this for a long time. Right. It was like John Travolta, you know, come back to, you know, resurgence of his career. Like, oh, hey, I'm, it's me. I'm back again. I'm in the top five, top 10. I'm like, shit super dave is back again because <laughs> uh, he was dry firing he said he's just dry firing he's just dry firing i'm just manipulating that bolt trying to bring my you know wobble down on the rifle and i'm like and you know he quote he, he he's quoted saying like look at allison zane allison zane is at 300 she's at the top of the game right now because she practices relentlessly mm -hmm. she she practices she goes to matches and she practices 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 <laughs> um so for me um i need to practice more but my progression was um finding a rifle setup that i like i used to run j allen chassis before that was a couple different off-brand chassis or stocks but i ran a j allen for close to eight years the, the rifles balanced out fine I, it was just me on the gun and then finally i i started listening to a couple different competitors uh, started opening my mind up to what jacob was saying about being stubborn and how i was running the bolt you know you don't have to run it rape tape and run it like a machine gun <laughs> um so and then remembering that you need to have fun because having fun and having a, a a good mindset at matches makes it better um this is technically work for me so if i look at it as a job i don't have fun sometimes. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. but sometimes there's very rare cases that i'll go to a match and i say eh, okay i had fun hanging out with everyone i just didn't shoot because i didn't care um but i mean i love it's my job i love it <laughs> i'm happy <laughs> absolutely um I think switching from, I went from six Creedmoor and then I jumped right into TAC Division and shot 308 for a year, for about two years. And then I switched back to Open Division and was starting to run 6XE. And I have been burning 6XE barrels out since then. <laughs> uh, so it's like, I think I have like six barrels that are, are that are now burned out. Um, and many more on the shelf that need to be burned out. So I'll continue to run 6XE for a while. I'm kind of married to that cartridge. Um, it's not the, a bunch of people say it's a niche cartridge. It's also a components issue. I can run four different types of brass, small rifle primer and large rifle primer, and I can take a bunch of different bullets. So I'm not just stuck to one bullet, one brass type, one primer type for the cartridge, I can mix and match, still make the guns, the rifles operate and get 
low ESSD numbers can still compete. So that was one of the deciding factors on selecting that cartridge back in 2018. I think that's um, actually a good piece of advice for, for people now in these times. Um, I mean, even in the pistol world, like they're having to change powders. That changes everything. Like you said, you got to start over from scratch. So if you can find yes. a barrel, whatever, that can run different things um, that you know will work. I mean, that's huge because that's literally everything for your competition. Yes, I mean, I mean, I'm feeling the crunch right now. I'm I'm out of nozzler 150 grain projectiles, so now I'm looking at uh, I have about 1500 VTACs, which is 150 grain. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Um, David Tubbs 150 grain VTAC, non-coated VTACs, and then I have 2500 Hornady six millimeter eight tips. So I have enough to run a couple matches, but once I am out of the certain bullet, I'm gonna have to start that load work up again, kinda, cause I can kind of fudge knowing what that barrel likes with the twist and what the barrel, the, the barrels that I use like. So, but I still have to start over and try to verify and try to get, you know, a good precision node and a good velocity off of switching to new bullet. Yeah. When I switch to the one, when I finally switch to the one tens, it's going to be uncharted territory because I've never shot the one tens in a six x before. So we'll see how that works. Ooh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so what's uh, the what's the longest shot you've ever made in your, like in your career, whether it's timed or like in practice? So longest ever, like not even in matches or yeah. PRS NRL, mm -hmm. twenty five hundred meters. Which is in yards. <laughs> oh, where's my phone? <laughs> Like, I don't speak meters yet. Can you do math? <laughs> All these PRS people are probably yelling at me, like, why do you not know this? <laughs> no, I mean, 20, I say 2,500 meters because that was army time. Mm. Um, so, yards, let me do the conversion. Probably everyone that's listening is now like whipping out their phones and they're all like, I got it right here. I'm here you, whatever. <laughs> Um, let's pull this up 2500 meters meters let's pull yards up so yeah no not 5000 25 oh no switch i need clear math is hard okay that's uh 2734 yards holy shit yeah that's, that's the longest I ever shot, but that was with a a that was in the Army Times, and that was uh that was with a a Barrett fifty cal on a very 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 large target. Still cool. Huge targets, like barn door size targets, volleying it in. Like we see some of these ELR, not not the good ELR competitors, but some of these people that claim world records and they're shooting thirty rounds. Yeah. Trying to like bracket it in. Meanwhile, I can like call an artillery round in on that target with like two calls. That's yeah. Cool. Um, so the longest I've ever hit a target <laughs> off of a rifle that? was that. But that was that was with a Barrett 50 cal. So um the longest shot I've ever made anything with with a projectile ever was from a Bradley. Uh <laughs> That was during gunnery with a Bradley when I had to shoot a, um, you know, I think it was, you know, 3,200 meters. But that's at, that's using a 25 millimeter. That doesn't count. I'm and, in a Bradley fighting vehicle. <laughs> but that's like one of the coolest things you've ever done, right? Like 
shoot those guns, make those shots, have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, time in the army is a Bradley, uh, Bradley gunner and Bradley commander, and then being in every position in a tank. So I, I was in two different MOSs in the army. I went to Kilo, which is a tank, tank crewman, combat tank crewman. So I, I drove a tank. I was the loader, the driver, the gunner, and the tank commander. And then I switched MOSs prior to going active duty and became a, a cavalry scout. And then that's that's being in a Humvee if you're in a motorized light type reconnaissance. And then I was in a Bradley. So I was also the, I drove a Bradley. I was the Bradley gunner. I was the dismount in the back. And then I became a Bradley commander as I progressed up and got promoted. And um, being a Bradley commander was fun because um, that was my time with the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment. We, it was just a good time. But a lot of good friends. I have a lot of good friends from that time. Very cool. Very cool. So rounding this out, I'm curious, um, if primers aren't the issue and components and all of that, <laughs> what is your 2022 goals for shooting or what are they? Uh, 2022 goals for shooting. Well, first, first goal is <laughs> figuring out how know. many matches I'm going to shoot. <laughs> Get this schedule planned out. The <laughs> second goal is to find more bullets because I'm sitting on 80 pounds of powder and you can see all the primer boxes back there. I'm not hurting on primers. Yeah. So once I have bullets, uh, it's like a whole new world. I, I can go to more and do more things. Great. Uh, <laughs> right now, um, which means I might be ROing a lot of matches next year, which that's not, there's no problem with that. Um, 2022 goals right now, if, if components weren't an issue, I am definitely going to be doing five to seven NRL Hunter Series matches cool uh i want to do i want to get back to using uh back to the tac division with prs so that means 30 cal 308 um getting another 308 built uh it's going to be a monster rifle it's got it's probably going to be a 30 pound rifle right off the bat Ooh. i'm just going to say it's going to be huge that's cool uh, i know some people say heavy guns are stupid no i'm going exact opposite i am weighing this thing down to where i could probably work out with it <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to move it around. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I, yeah. I, mean, I do need to work out more. So <laughs> damn kettlebells got dusted off. Um, <laughs> got to. <laughs> so. <Just> it up. <laughs> well, after nationals, what I just shot was a 122 pound ammo can in one hand and holding the PC in the other. So that's my new practice in dry fire. Some bullshit carnival games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I get it. Okay. I'm going to like... Hey. We sometimes have to carry our, our full bag, our tripod, and our rifle prior to a stage, and you're already manhandling a 28-pound gun. Yeah. And some mass directors are like, I'm going to punish the people with 28-pound rifles and make you move a longer distance. And I'm like, yeah, I bring it. You know, I just drink an extra bang before that stage and just, you know, adrenaline through it. There you go. Rage through it. But, yeah, um, caveat to that, some of these rifles I would not go hunting with because you're not – you're not traveling too far with a 30 pound rifle yeah no uh, it just happens so the joke of bear barricade bench rest i get that ha 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 yeah it's on you frank alley um <laughs> but they're made for a specific game and a specific type of application and let people be happy with what they're running yeah because you don't want to play the prs or nrl game doesn't mean you can't let anyone else have a 30 pound rifle mm -hmm. all right 
if I want to start doing run again, again, I'm going to build a 16 pound rifle and practice with it, which that's NRL Hunter. Because I have to get a rifle that's under 16 pounds uh, for, for the open heavy division. So going back to lightweight rifle, which is good training. Um, and then, so I got pure, the NRL Hunter division or NRL Hunter series with open heavy division, uh, tack division for bolt gun. And then um, if I get off of my ass and get it done, I'll be running the PRS gas gun division with a sergeant of arms 6xe uh, ar cool that's yeah awesome. that's what i'm saving all the 6xe stuff up for is to run that in the the gas gun so but i actually have to get off my keister and get the invoice finally paid and get the brass and all the stuff to eric up in dallas so that he can get it tested and get the reamers to him get that gun done before january which probably won't happen like no that's tomorrow <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, Ryan, any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with um, in this whole journey of, of PRS and shooting and all of that? If you want to get into it, don't be intimidated. Buy it. Jump right into it. Go to, if you want to get into actual competing, go to a club level match or RO a match and experience it and then ask a lot of questions. Um, don't start making um, off the hip purchases until you see what the gear that we're running and some of the trends that we're doing um i see a lot of people want to go buy their 338 with magnum and say i'm getting the prs i'm just gonna pump the brakes no it, that's no not happening um so definitely seek out the clubs that are local to you uh seek out the groups that are local to you go ro a match volunteer um you know Go look and see and, and, and start asking questions. Start getting a feel for what it is. Yeah. Uh, Pro-Am matches, definitely getting to that. Um, but do some research before you open up your wallet because this can get very expensive very quickly. Yep. Uh, and then the next big thing is have an open mind. Um, ditch any ego you have because uh, most likely you're probably going to get beat by a 16-year-old girl or a cotton farmer from Oklahoma yep. uh, or a dentist from California. So be prepared to be beat by people you think that would not be great precision rifle competitors because we're just normal people that like to shoot long range and hit targets, drink beer, have fun. Um, you know, it's just like any other shooting discipline. You know, we like to sit around after the match and, and go and hang out, have a good dinner. And some people like to party in between the matches because they're seeing their friends and like-minded people. Uh, it's a great crew. Uh, you will meet. 99.999% of the people are awesome. Yeah. Focus on focus on 99.9. I always have to put the 0.01% in there. There's always oh yeah. But, um focus on the positives and and have fun and uh have an open mind and be safe. Yeah. Um my god, that current current events, be safe. We're dealing with firearms here. Um Long-range precision rifles and high-velocity projectiles are are the worst type of thing to get hit with um, because just sheer velocity. So we we have to be safe and we don't want accidents. Uh, negligent discharges and and mishandling of a rifle is not accepted. Um, and you know, have fun, be safe, be, have an open mind. That's how you get into this, and that's how you have fun. 
Love it. Love it. Any, um, any shout outs you want to give to sponsors or people that have helped you along the way? Oh God, that list is long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've already chatted. Your listeners are probably like, God, he talks a lot. I love this. They can deal with it. They can deal. (laughs) Uh, well, of course I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing a Kestrel shirt. So Kestrel Magneto Speed. Um, I mean, Magneto Speed for the last six years and now Kestrel. Um, the entire team at the old Kestrel crew or the old Magneto Speed crew. Uh, I, I don't mention them enough. You know, that kind of put my foot in the door for a lot of this. Um, and so that goes to the owners. That goes, it goes to Garrett. That goes to uh, Weston and Alex. Uh, and then, yeah, even Ivan. Yeah. You know, thank you for taking that chance and hiring me many years ago. Um, but, you know, another big shout out is to the current Kestrel crew, to Katie, to, to Austin, to Alex and Monica, um, you know, Chuck, everyone there, the Kestrel Ballistics Division, um, and, and Nielsen Keller. Nielsen Keller is the parent company, Kestrel. So that's really where I'm employed at. Um, thank you for putting your faith into me and um, dealing with my shenanigans every once in a while. <laughs> um <laughs> Vortex, Nick Laufenberg, of course. Uh, Nick, love you, bro. Stuff. Um, Defiance Machine, the crew up in Defiance. Uh, Chad and the entire crew up there. Chad, Norm. Um, Magpul. I mean, Magpul reached out to me after Jay Allen kind of closed down. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. Let me let me run the chassis. And next thing you know, Pro 700 chassis. And then I got more Pro 700 chassis. Now all my comp rifles are on Pro 700 chassis, and I love them because I can do so much with that chassis and and everything. Uh, rifles only, of course, Jacob and Lisa. I mean, the list this list is very long because I've been doing oh. this for a while. <laughs> it's like, man, you don't realize you have a team behind. Yeah, yeah, you do. You have a team, and you know what? I wish I could do more to thank that. And you know, product. A lot of product goes into people that represent these brands and i wish i'm like man wh- what can i send back i mean i can't send back like two thousand dollars for every scope to a company i'd be broke but i'm like you know i guess it's just you know being a decent person representing the brands in a positive manner not being too much of a uh a liability or off brand you know getting podcasts deleted <laughs> Not this one. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Uh, but there's there's a lot of people. So, I mean, um, we bad, uh, short action precision, um, rifles only, uh, even Joe Baker at Geoballistics, because I ran Geoballistics before I got hired with Kestrel for a long time. Joe and his Geoballistics team, uh, great, great crew there. And uh, I should have had the list printed out. I'm like, Jim Shaughnessy from Prime because I used to run Prime Ammunition. Thank you for supporting me all that. It's like, with my hands, I'm in Ricky Bobby moment. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mentioned so many people because it, it, no one does this on their own. And anyone that says that they do this on their own is flat out lying. Yep. Uh, anytime anyone's close saying, oh, I didn't have anyone to help me do the, do all this or get into it, uh, they're, they're, they're BSing you. They're yep. lying. Think about um, it. Half of those people are married. It takes your wife to watch the kids or whatever, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and even, even if you're not married and you don't, have, you, you still have people that have, you know, 
chosen to be a mentor or help you or guide you, um, you just got to be appreciative of those people and you got to recognize them because yeah. if you uh, turn your back on them, sorry. Yeah. Yep. So uh, wrapping this out, final question for you. How can people right. find you online and on social media to reach out, ask you questions um, and more? Uh, so this thing for business-wise, my email is, and, um, I guess you can put that up. Uh, you can find me at Kestrel. It's rhey at magnetospeed.com or rhey at nkhome.com. Uh, phone number for work is 610-447-1555, extension 221. That's the business side of it. Um, Instagram. It's just my name. I don't have any crazy name. It's Ryan, double underscore pay. I don't need to have the pew pew or anything like that. Sorry, everyone. Tactical, Ryan. No, you, no, you don't even get that. You get me as Ryan Hayne. You like it or not. Sorry. Yep, yep. I love it. Thank so, you for coming on. And uh, You're welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm in, intrigued. I've learned a lot. I'm going to keep learning. Uh, hopefully see you on the circuit at some point <laughs> circuit yeah hopefully and i uh and, you know on the flip side i follow a lot of the three gun uspsa pcc competitors i know a lot of them and i follow them and watch them so i ever do decide to come short range and and fast sports um i i can't use the excuse of making bad purchases and decisions because i have followed too many people and i i'm gonna start hitting up for questions Yep. And you're going to have a shit ton of people as always that will have the guns gear and everything else. So just have yep. you out there like your, your sports, the same thing. No same excuses. Thing. Just, just time. I can't do all the shooting sports. I wish yeah. I had Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. So uh, thank you again um, for those listeners. Yeah. Reach out to Ryan. If you have questions, ask about Kestrel, Magneto Speed. I mean, there's so many resources out there. So there is, we have our monthly zoom classes that are free. Um, just go to the website, go on our support and find them. And we do those classes. They're, they're free. They're monthly and you get the recording and a 10% discount. Yep. They're badass. They're a lot of fun. So awesome. Well, thanks for awesome. listening everybody. Um, and stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.